Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. You know, the prospect of the final judgment should not threaten any true Christian, for it's the final earthly act in God's redemptive plan for all who believe. You see, Judgment Day completes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The Day of Atonement, which symbolizes and typifies judgment, resolves Passover. Why do I say this and why am I talking about Judgment Day? Well, last week I wrote and spoke about the Feast of Tabernacles. You see, the Jewish folk all around us, around the world in fact, would be, were celebrating it at that very time. And the whole three-part festival of tabernacles commences with what's called Rosh Hashanah, which is the blowing of trumpets. And then, ten days later, that's followed by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment. And then comes seven days of living in outdoor tabernacles, where they celebrated God's goodness and presence with them in the wilderness experience. Now, for Christians, the immediate relevance of all of this, particularly of the Day of Atonement, is that this day presents aspects of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? Well, Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 14 makes this pretty clear. Let me read it to you. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Okay, so the writer of Hebrews is taking the ancient Day of Atonement celebrations of ancient Israel and applying them to us Christians through the atoning blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. However, there are some strange clues in the Day of Atonement rituals that you find in the Old Testament. And these clues point to a deeper meaning and a deeper relevance for us as Christians. Let me give you what I mean. John, in his Gospel, refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Paul likens Jesus to the Passover Lamb. And he effectively links this to the crucifixion at Passover, not the Day of Atonement. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1.19, does the same thing. So, why then did they sacrifice a goat on the Day of Atonement, when Jesus is portrayed as the Lamb of God? There's a, there's a disconnect here, if we're trying to link these two things. Actually, Jesus used goats to represent those who are condemned not those whom he saves. He said this in Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 33 When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, 
and the goats on his left. And then he goes on to make it quite clear that the goats represent those who do not follow him, and the sheep represents those who do. So this is an interesting clue here that tells us there's some disconnect again between the Day of Atonement as pointing to the Passover sacrifice of Jesus. Secondly, what about the second goat that was involved on the Day of Atonement? Now, what they would do is they would slaughter one goat, but the second goat, which and this goat was called Azazel, I can't even pronounce it properly, but it's Azazel. you find that, by the way, in Leviticus 16.8. And it, the word probably means a complete sending away, but there are several Jewish scholars who regard it as the name of the devil. Hmm. Now, the high priest laid his hands upon the second goat, Azazel, and he laid upon it through this act all the sins of his people Israel and then it was sent off into the wilderness to be forever lost and never to return well how does this relate to the crucifixion and you know the only connection I can make is to the banishment of Satan from heaven when Jesus died and then rose again but other than that really hard to connect the two now the Jewish tradition places the full emphasis of the Day of Atonement on averted judgment. So for them, Yom Kippur is the climax of ten days of actual repentance. They call this the Days of All, when um, all religious Jews are to examine their lives, examine their souls, and to confess all sin. Because they believed that if they confessed their sin, then their names would be written in the Book of Life. But if they didn't, they would be deemed unrighteous and their names would be inscribed in the book of death. So this for them was a very solemn, special occasion. The book of Revelation contains a graphic reference to the judgment of God, by the way. It says there, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no more place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. You find that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 12. And earlier on in the book of Revelation, it links this book of life to Jesus. It calls it the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Revelation 13, verse 8. So here it's talking about the great judgment scene and how there's two sets of books. One set of book which records the acts of people, all people on earth and they really are demonstrating that no one is righteous no one is found acceptable to God through what he or she can do but then there's the other book the book of life where the names are inscribed in the blood of the lamb of Passover the Lord Jesus Christ now there are further connections between the day of atonement and the final judgment the blowing of trumpets for instance precedes the day of atonement in the book of Revelation it's the seventh trumpet that announces the day of judgment. So there's the connection. And Jesus spoke of this when he said that the nations on earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heavens to the other. You'll find that in Matthew 24, verses 30 to 31. And then Paul echoes his master's words when he writes, 
and the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Okay, so there are quite clear connections between the Day of Atonement and the Day of Judgment. So it's speaking about something which is yet to happen on the timeline of world history, not something which happened on the cross of Calvary. Now, after the Day of Atonement, of course, came seven days later the Feast of Tabernacles, and they celebrated that for seven days, sorry, uh, and they commemorated God's dwelling with His people in the wilderness. And in the book of Revelation, the final dwelling of God with His people is inscribed and described in terms of a new creation, a new heaven and an earth. So, in these three feasts of Israel, this, this final little clump of feasts, you have, first of all, blowing of trumpets, and you have the trumpet sounding when Jesus comes again. You have the Day of Atonement, which speaks about the final judgment, which Jesus does when he judges all mankind. And then you have tabernacles, which speaks about the new heaven and earth, when Jesus returns to dwell forever with his people. Listen to how Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 actually pictures this wonderful final dwelling of God with man. The writer John says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this great day of atonement, this great coming judgment, shouldn't pose fear and trepidation for those who are truly born of the Spirit of God. For, for you see, Jesus referred to himself when he said that whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3, verse 18. Judgment Day is when Jesus returns to judge, recreate, and dwell forever with his people. And that's a wonderful prospect for the Christian. That's a wonderful thought and a hope for our future. God bless you. Uh, Corinne is going to join us in a moment, and then she's going to have her usual barrage of tricky questions. Hello there, and hello to everyone listening. We're so glad you are. Hey, Dad. Yes, we Yes, we are. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about Judgment Day. Yes. And it's because... Last time we spoke, it was about the Day of Atonement, where right. we sort of dipped our toes into Judgment Day and left a whole bunch of questions, which I'm hoping to be answered today. I'll try. <laughs> okay, so the first thing that you, you sort of you start the post by saying, here's something which makes everything clear. <laughs> and you cite Hebrews 9:11 to 14. And in it it says, The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of the hypha sprinkled on those ceremoniously unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. At which point I went, that made nothing clear. I'm sorry, Dad. Okay. <laughs> all right, let, let, me, let me clarify then. What I was first of all meaning was that 
you know, of these three festivals, you've got trumpets and you've got the Day of Atonement okay. and then you've got tabernacles. Yeah. Now, saying in terms of the New Testament, in terms of the Christian belief, the book of Hebrews clearly points us to this and says this is speaking about Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah. Okay. Because he died at Passover, yeah. and at Passover they take the lamb and they sacrifice oh. it. And uh, Jesus is called the Lamb of God that died for the sins of the world and so on. So the first meaning of this slaughtering, sprinkling of blood, toning for the sin, which is envisioned by the Day of Atonement, has a clear New Testament reference to Jesus, you see, and to what he did on the cross of Calvary. Okay, so it was to, to link up, in other words. Yeah, so, you know, one can't look at the Day of Atonement and say, well, it's got nothing to do with mm. what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, because the book of Hebrews says, yes, it does. Okay. It's got everything to do with that. Okay. What is the deal with, you know, everything being sacrificed and blood sprinkled on everything in the Old Testament? All right. Okay, so one of the things that I think helped me to understand things like this is that, you know, we look at the scriptures from a 21st century perspective. Mm. We probably read them on our cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but these were people that were living thousands of years. I mean, Jesus is 2,000 years ago, and these were people that were living, you know, 4,000 years before that. Mm. Well, so they were agricultural communities, they were nomadic some, some of the time, they lived among a pagan people who were uh, steeped in ritual sacrifice, bloodletting and so on and so mm. forth. So so God had to deal with them in terms of what they could understand. Yeah. If, you, if you think, imagine an angel appearing to Moses and saying, look, just nip up onto, uh, onto the mountain there and you'll find a, a, a tab not a tablet of stone, but a tab. <laughs> and, you know, push the little button on the left. Yeah. I know, <laughs> but why couldn't have been pick a bunch of red roses or something? Okay, because, again, they were living amongst a culture, pagan cultures, where this was already established, okay. this ritual sacrificial system, okay. number one. Number two, blood is a symbol of life and mm. death. Clearly, in medical perspective, if you lose all your blood, you're dead, right? Yeah. Um, so that's why it talks about the life is in the blood in the scriptures, yeah. because life and blood are, are are linked in that way. So this, the whole issue of the sacrificial system, it is giving life in order to save life. So it's all pointing to what Jesus does on the cross later, you see, in in terms that they could actually understand, that their cultures actually... could understand. I'm actually quite relieved to find out that that was already their culture and not something that God decided to do specially. Well, no, that, certainly that's my understanding. Uh, this I do know. I do know from historical research that the, the pagan nations living around them all practiced, in fact, a lot worse than that. They had baby sacrifices and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, th uh, Moloch throwing their babies into the mouth of this big stone idol. Uh, nice but, one. But, yeah, a nice one. But there was a lot of bloodletting. A lot of sacrificial mm. systems. So, this is the culture that the Israelites were um, surrounded by. Yeah. So they would have understood that, you see, and they would have understood okay. the terms and the symbolisms and and the things of that nature. I suppose in the same way that Jesus used in his parables, he used sort of farming and that, yeah, he landowners did. and seeds and wheat and goats and mm. sheep and vines. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Speaking of goats. 
What is what is up? <laughs> these poor goats? They're constantly being like shoved off into the desert to wander around and slaughtered, and then the pigs that were had the demons put in them. Yeah. And uh, uh, as an animal lover, I worry that separating certain animals creates superstitions. You know, I don't want goats to be slaughtered anymore now that we Jesus has created the bridge for us. Yeah, and, and of course, no Christian would, because, yeah. because Jesus' atonement on the cross of Calvary put an end for all time to blood sacrifice. Yeah, but there still is this superstition, you know, like with snakes, you know, kill the snake quickly, it's, it's evil. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's just ignorant, so education yeah. is a, a solution to that. Yeah. You know, the, the the bigger issue is maybe why were only certain animals singled out? Yeah. So, you know, they could, there were a whole bunch of animals that were ritually unclean, couldn't be used for sacrifices. Yes. They also couldn't be used for eating. Well, to this day by the, the Orthodox Ju- Jewish nation. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, little piggies, um, mm. I'm personally rather fond of crackling. <laughs> <laughs> but in a lot of the major religions of the world it's, it's sort of t- taboo yeah. and I think and I, I, in the past I've tried to read up on this but there's really little research on this but it seems to be that the best explanation why certain animals were clean and certain animals were ritually unclean is that the unclean animals were more prone to disease worm mm. infestations and so on yeah, so even to this day sense. we know that pork, for instance, has to be well cooked, right? Mm. Because pigs in this, they are, are, are medicated. So I suppose most pigs mm. nowadays are medicated. Are going to get ringworm and bladderworm and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So, sure. yeah. yeah. So. And also the ones that are clean were the herbivores, the ones that um, grazed on grass. So the likelihood of them actually picking up transmitted parasites and so on is not like a carnivore is going to pick that up just by eating other stuff. That's interesting. Same with um, shellfish, you know. Shellfish are scavengers. They they eat all the rubbish, yeah. Yeah, and most often people, well, I don't know if most often, but people often get food poisoning from shellfish. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. So the only way I can understand is is that it had this dietary link and a, a real yeah. a real reason for it, why they separate out certain animals and then the animals that were clean they were allowed to eat. And then because they were ritually clean, they were also the animals that were used for sacrifices. Okay. For instance, sheep and goats yeah. were clean. Yeah, yeah. But pigs weren't. And goats were clean and yet abandoned it all over the shop. Yeah, again. Sent into all sorts of places to wander. Yeah, again, there's really no biblical evidence as to why the poor old goat is singled out. <laughs> but again, if I go to the pagan cultures around mm. Israel I can then understand it because you have mm. you have the myth of Pan, the yeah. the the god of frivolity and licentiousness with goat like mm. feet. Mm. You have uh, sexual over stimulation referred to mm. the goat, you know, he's a dirty old goat. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. That's true. And you it's have goat's heads and, I think still have yeah goat's heads sorry, and goat's Karen. horns appear in the occult a lot. Yes, that's that's what I was going to say, yeah. So again, I think that comes more out of those kind of cultures. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. On the Old Testament, I have such 
difficulty reconciling um, a loving father of the New Testament with a God in the Old Testament who didn't seem to mind wiping out whole nations and turning people into pillars of salt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to sound, you know, irreverent as I mentioned to you before this, but it's just, I, how do I reconcile that, okay. that God to the God that I, and, and which is the correct one, you know, because it does say fear God. Maybe it says fear God because he can be like that too. Okay, so this is a really good question. A lot of people battle with it. And a lot of heresies have cropped up. And a lot of cult systems have grown up trying to separate the Old Testament God from the New. Hmm. And they kind of relegate the God of the Old Testament to a lesser deity, a, a, what they call hmm. a demiurg, a hmm. sort of semi-deity. And he was crude. And then they say, but of course, now in Jesus comes the true God. Wow. manifesting. But that's to then do away with the Old Testament. Yeah. And there's no evidence for that at all because Jesus himself refers to his Father yeah. being uh, the, the absolute pure one, the absolute holy God, the, mm. the one who is full of truth and so on and so forth. Mm. So there, there's no difference. So we've really got to rather look at the Old Testament and say, well, these things that appear to be so uh, harsh and, and almost barbaric, mm. is there... Are we missing something here? Is there small print here that we're not seeing? If we look into the background of these things, will we see some other stuff? And I do believe... And are we? Yes, we are, I think. For, like? <laughs> okay, for, for instance, the the mass exterminations that, that you refer to were very, mm. very infrequent. Mm. And if you read the history of them, they were always preceded... Well. For, as far as I can see, they were preceded. There seems to be evidence preceded by prophetic warnings. Mm. So, for instance, the wandering Jews in the Exodus are about to pass through the land of the Amorites and the Gedoras, mm. and there was going to be a big war. And they, you know, and God says, "No, don't do that." And He takes them around another route so that they don't encounter them. Yeah. And the reason why He gives it is because the iniquity has not yet, yet reached fullness. So he's giving them a chance. Yeah. And it's only much later, much later, that, that he gives the command, okay, listen, you have to deal with that nation now. Yeah. Now, the, the second issue is try and imagine a situation where uh, you have, let's say you have a, an, an island. And yeah. on that island you have a group of people who are pure, they've got no disease. Yeah. But down the corner of the island, there's this group of guys who are fraught with disease. And it's Probably highly transmittable. Talking biblical. Highly transmittable. It's transmittable yeah. through breath and through touch and through spit and through everything. Yeah, yeah. And now you had no means of curing them. Or if you tried to, you said, look, I've got the cure for you guys. You know, they said, I don't want your jolly cure. Mm. We're happy the way we are. Now, mm. now, suddenly the two groups are starting to encroach on each other. What are you going to do? Mm. The most extreme measure which might ultimately be required is to say, look, that lot have to be eradicated. Sure. Now, now, you know, that's a very, uh, that's a very radical statement. Mm. But, it's, um, but it makes logical sense. And if you think of the pagan nations that were surrounding Israel, Oh my goodness, if you read about what these guys were actually up to. 
you know, they were incorrigibly wicked. But surely giving us free will means, as in the Garden of Eden, exposing us to things that will, that, that may corrupt us if we let them. And that's part of, you know, trying to be a good person and trying to be a good okay. Christian. So okay, now again, yeah, I got, I got you. Now go back to the role of Israel, though. Now this is all pre the cross, eh? Yeah. So this is all before salvation is offered for all who choose. And yeah. the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world to sanctify us. Mm. So God is, has to preserve this nation. He has to preserve this holy people through time, through a lot of time, in order okay. that ultimately they can then give birth to the Messiah who can then bring salvation to all people. Hmm. So it was a hugely important task to keep them pure. And if you look at the history of Israel, the times when they really came unstuck is when they failed to actually properly deal with the, the, the nations around them. And then mm. those nations actually started intermarrying with them, brought their idols, their, their false gods, their whole religious culture, their whole um, barbarism, brought it into Israel. And mm. it took hundreds of years to purge Israel from all of that again. Mm. So, so I don't think lying beneath this is an arbitrary God who just says, kill off nations. Yeah, I think yeah. here you have a God who says, this is what I have to do in order to save far more nations in the future. And two, I'm going to give them warning anyway. I'll send prophets to them saying, repent, like Nineveh. He yeah. sends a prophet, Jonah, and says, repent, repent, turn yeah. from your wicked ways. Yeah. That that actually brings up a lot of questions for me about predestination and that sort of thing, but perhaps it's not for this podcast. <laughs> um, yep, definitely not for this podcast, <laughs> otherwise we're going to be gabbing on for another hour. <laughs> also, speaking of um, animals that, that got the short end of the stick, etc., in the, um, the, the one of the eradications, uh, the, the flood eradication, yeah. the the fish obviously had a good time of it. There were yay more water. <laughs> what, what's with that? <laughs> Doesn't seem right. Okay, excellent question. Next one. <laughs> I don't want to okay. get sidetracked onto the flood now, okay? No, absolutely. Um, okay, now, I, I think I've asked you this before because it's something that, that troubles me constantly and you've probably tried to explain it to me and you've got to a certain point and a, a big word has come up and my my brain started buzzing but now on the day of, of, of judgment the dead are judged but yet when we die we go straight to well, heaven or, or hell but some people believe in Hades but the dead arise at the end of time what is going on there? Okay, now <clears throat> the f the first issue. Look, there's a lot of there's a lot of biblical ways of explaining that because it does talk mm. about um, what we understand as being Hades is not the permanent destination of the unsaved. Mm. So at the end, on the great day of judgment, then uh, it's emptied. Everybody stands before the judgment throne of God, and then the, those those folk are then assigned to their final destination place so no one's in hell now then yes they are it's just it, it, it it's just has a a, a non-permanent nature at, at the moment until the great judgment so that's the kind of the biblical way of explaining it 
But I think there's also a logical way of explaining it. And the logical way is this, that we live in a space-time continuum. So we live in three dimensions of space, and we live on a timeline. So for us, time is chronological. It it goes from past to present to future. It Mm. goes in one direction. And and it lasts a long time. Mm. But is God on our timeline? Because no, a day is like a thousand years, etc. So, so in some sense, he's outside of our time. Yeah. So, because he created time itself, so time is part mm. of the the space-time universe he creates. Yeah. So he's out of it or not affected by that. So for him, he lives in the instant now. Hmm. So when we move from this earthly realm into the heavenly realm. How can we now even start trying to contemplate that in terms of time? Yeah. So we're not measuring it in terms of our time. Yeah. It's uh, To use a modern day equivalent, so you send a spacecraft off to a, a far distant planet mm. and that turns around and let's say it's traveling at approximating the speed of light and if we can get, yeah. get to a spacecraft that can do that, it yeah. gets to that planet and comes on back. The, the people on that spacecraft might have been on it for only a, a year. Mm. But when they get back, the people on Earth have uh, miraculously aged 500 years. Yeah. So how can you equate one time with the other? And this yeah. is what gave rise to Einstein's theory of relativity. Mm. Time is relative to speed, and it's relative to the positioning of of different people. So... So I think it's a little bit futile to talk about how could we be instantly with Jesus now, yet there's also a judgment coming, because when we die now, we step out of this timeline. I don't have that much trust in time as it is. I find it quite fluid myself. Well, you know, experience it it certainly is, yeah. Yeah, but when you're talking last um, last time we spoke on the Q&A, you're talking about time basically standing still while you're in that upper room. Yes, and we've all, we've all experienced these things, how time seems to really move fast sometimes, mm-hmm. and very mm. slowly, like when one is doing a Q&A or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking from the listener's point of view, of course. <laughs> okay, well then, I'm just going to ask you my very last question, okay. <laughs> which is, okay, so now you've, you've sort of, you've described... Hades as kind of like hell's waiting room, I think, in my okay, good limited enough. understanding yeah. of, <laughs> of it. Um, but after Lucifer's falls, he still has full access to heaven for a while, it seems, because he goes up and he... Until the cross, you know, he yeah. He says to God, what, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of people like Job and that sort of All thing. Right. So now, does that mean that people who are in, you know, hell's waiting room or whatever now will have actually got the opportunity to become born again, to repent, to get into heaven when the judgment comes? The answer is no, because the scripture again is clear on this. It says, for we live once and then we face the judgment. Well, then what's the point? Pardon? What's the point of the waiting room and the judgment then? Why not just judge and off you go? Well, you see, again, you're looking at this timeline thing. Yeah. And and it really is a, f- a futile argument. Mm. We you know we just don't have a, a, a means of conceptualizing that how the mm. one can be the equivalent to the other when mm. you step out out of time. But I wanted to just correct something you said. 
um, yeah, the devil had access to the throne room of God right up until the cross of Calvary. But it wasn't yeah. so that he could have another chance of being righteous. It was no. He was the accuser. He was the one who stood there constantly meddling and constantly saying, you see those people of yours, God, yeah. look yeah. how miserable they are. Why don't yeah. you wipe them out again? Kind of thing. Yeah, no, he wasn't trying to repent at all no. from what we can no. gather. So it's a different scenario that, that you're looking yeah. at there. So the, the, the scriptural reference to it is quite clear, for we all mm. live once and then we face judgment. I like the idea of time being completely different because, to be honest, that, you know, even in, in heaven, the thought of eternity, I find totally overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, because we have no way of understanding it, you know, and, 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 yeah. there, and there were so many sort of trite ways of looking that we say, you know, this, the, the Christians, when they die, are going to be kind of like in this cloudy universe strumming electric hops and yeah, singing exactly. praises all day dull. long. We have no idea. <laughs> because, because how can somebody living in three dimensions even conceptualize a multi-dimensional reality? We we have no yeah. words for it. We have no thought patterns for it. Yeah, and we no have no way of understanding it. it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, thank you. That's that actually. Yeah, that that helped me a lot, and I, I hope it helped everyone who's listening. And do let us know if it did. Good. And just uh, the parting shot, of course, is this whole issue of judgment should never be a fear or a threat for somebody who's already yes. born again of the Spirit of yeah. God. Because it talks about if you are born again, you don't have to fear the judgment. If you are born twice of the flesh and then of the Spirit, you'll only die once, not twice, yeah. once when you die physically. So there's no threat to the, to the believer. There's no need to fear if we are born again of the Spirit of God in Jesus. I think it's, a little, it's still a little worrying, though, because, you know, you do go through your whole life and all that sort of thing, which can't be pleasant, but at least you, yeah, we it's do, in heaven. We go through a... You mean in heaven, a, a review yeah. of our lives? Yeah, sure, but the whole idea there really is so we can understand God's incredible grace in accepting huh. us. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Teddy. Okay. Bye for now, <laughs> bye. and bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth is the word.